Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Now, here's the host of WP Tonic, Jonathan Dinwood and John Locke. Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 157. Today we're talking coordinating complex site migrations. Before we get into today's show, we'd like to announce that today's episode is being sponsored by WP Security Audit Log Plugin. With this plugin, you can keep an audit log of everything that's happening on your WordPress and multi-site with the WP Security Audit Log By keeping a record of every change that happens on your WordPress site, you can ensure user productivity, meet regulatory compliance requirements, and identify WordPress security issues before they become a problem. For example, the plugin keeps a record when users log in and out of WordPress, whenever users change your role, passwords, or other profiles, settings of other users, uh, if your users change anything in a post, page, or custom post type, if users on a WordPress multi-site network are added or removed, uh, if any user uploads or deletes a file, changes a password or email address, if they install, activate, deactivate, upgrade, or uninstall a plugin or theme, anytime WordPress is updated or upgraded. Uh, this also looks at failed login attempts, 404 error requests, and so much more. WP Security Audit Log is WordPress's most comprehensive user monitoring and audit log plugin and is installed on more than 40,000 websites. You can also extend the plugin's functionality with reporting, email notifications, syslog integration, and other premium add-ons. Visit the plugin website, wpsecurityauditlog.com for more information. And if you use the coupon code WP Tonic 25, you'll get a 25% discount during checkout. Now, on to the show. Uh, I'd like to introduce the WordPress panel of experts. We got a like, full house today, and we'll start with Robert. Where are you? Hello. Hi. I'm fine. Thanks. How are you? Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> um, Jackie, introduce yourself. I'm Jackie D'Elia, based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I help clients build their brands through using WordPress sites. Excellent. Sally? I'm Sally Getch. <clears throat> My business is WP Fangirl. I'm in Oakley, California, and uh, organize the East Bay WordPress Meetup. Excellent. Jonathan? Oh, hi there, folks. I'm the founder of WP Tonic. We're a maintenance service and support company with many clients. A trusted partner, aren't we, John? Very trusted. And I'm John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design. I help blue-collar industries with custom WordPress development and local SEO, as well as WooCommerce integration. Uh, Before we get into today's main topic of uh, complex site migrations, there's a few WordPress news stories that are in the news. And... The first one is Tom McFarland, a famous WordPress developer, is launching a marketplace for blogging plugins, and he uh, is passing the torch uh, on his uh, WordPress 
uh, .org plugins. Uh, so, uh, Robert, w- what are your thoughts on this? Like, um, I've seen I've seen a lot of um, there are kind of a lot of marketplace. Um, a lot of I've seen a lot of people kind of building different marketplaces. I, I'm just I, I honestly, to be honest, I don't know. I don't have any opinion on them because I've never used any or, or whatever. Um, so <laughs> I have not much to say about that. That was easy. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's... On to the next person. Off you go. Who's it going to be, John? <laughs> Jackie, Jackie, did you, did, did, what do you think about this? I mean, everybody, um, you know, in our space knows Tom, uh, you know, what he does with, pre- uh, you know, his uh, press theme shop. Yeah. Pressware, thank you, yeah. Uh, but Philip Arthur Moore is taking over all his uh, existing plugins. Well, um, I think oh. that, you know, first thing is I think it's really responsible to uh, find somebody to take over your plugins versus just abandoning them. There's many that are abandoned. Uh, was working on a client site this past week and came across a plugin that hadn't been updated in eight years. It wasn't my client site, but it, I was reviewing one mm-hmm. and realized that, you know, there are a lot of plugins that are abandoned, um, never worked on again, and people are still using them. So I think um, hats off to Tom for uh, finding somebody to adopt those plugins who is actually interested in maintaining them and perhaps, you know, uh, continuing to add to them and make them grow and provide support for the existing user base. So I think that's great. And as far as like a blogging, plugging platform, I'm interested to see what, how that uh, evolves and what that becomes. But um, I like the idea of having a marketplace for plugins that is not in the .org so that there's, uh, you know, for premium plugins and having a marketplace, it just, I'm just curious to see what it would, what it's going to look like and how, um, how sustainable that model will be. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and I want to ask Sally this too, you know, when it comes to marketplaces or, or places where you can find like plugins, there's really like the two that you think of are the, the dot org repository and Envato. Um, but you know, what, what would it take to make a viable third option and, do you think this is take off? I don't know. It, you know, that might work or not. I think the fact that it's specialized uh, is probably going to help. I, I think it would be very hard to launch a general purpose uh, plug-in marketplace and, and compete with Envato now that it's so established. But, you know, there are plugins that I buy from the individual uh, plugin producers, you know, Gravity Forms. Uh, WP Rocket, you know, there are, so there are people who sell plugins outside of Envato who are able to sell them and, and do well with them. Um, and uh, so, it, you know, it might work. I, I certainly respect Tom a lot. I would expect the, the, the plugins to be uh, high quality. Um, and, you know, how much interest I'm going to have in them or my clients are going to have in them, I'm not sure. Uh, it, kind of depends what they what they are but there are people whose main interest is blogging and who will probably find them helpful uh, it's uh, it's partly a matter i think of of getting the word out to the people who would be using them well i think that's a great point there's a huge market for 
uh, blogging, just people who just want to blog. And I, I think that this could be a really great success. You know, Jonathan, what are your thoughts? Uh, we've seen recently in the WordPress ecosystem that a lot of people who are no, you know, say if they're not maintaining their plugins anymore, they find somebody to pass the torch to. I think this is a really good thing for the overall you know, WordPress plugin ecosystem. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, I, I agree with you, John. That that's one of the reasons I I put it as one of the news stories. But I think there's two sides of it. Is that side and both Tom and um, I've got the, the person that's taken them over. But he, um, he's been involved in WordPress a long time himself. In, but I think he's based in Vietnam, isn't he? He didn't. He he run the WordCamp Vietnam, didn't he? Uh, he might have. I know Philip Arthur Moore. He's like a person that I used to follow. Like when I first like started getting into WordPress, because he was uh, one of. The, he's been like you said. He's been involved since uh, early, early on. Yeah. But, uh, so uh, uh, it looks like they're going to be well maintained, and I have used some of those plugins myself. So um, that's good news. Um, it's really a difficult one, isn't it? Because it doesn't, it doesn't actually mean if a plugin isn't maintained, it's not totally usable. Um, but on the other hand, you always you always think, oh, you, it's not a great thing not to see it actively maintained. You're always a little bit concerned, aren't you? So there's that. But then there's the other side, isn't there? You know, why isn't there more marketplaces around themes? It, yeah, you can understand Theme Forest and how they dominate the market. But I, I agree with the other panel. The only way that's going to be encroached upon is kind of through specialisation, through uh, marketplaces that specialise in... I, I'm surprised there isn't a, like um, one area that surprised me that there isn't a third-party marketplace, but I suppose it is through WooCommerce, but... You think you could really establish something around that area, wouldn't you, John? You know, that is a good point. Um, a lot of their plugins seem to be, yeah, I mean, and I guess like what you're saying in, in a sense is true that they kind of have their own marketplace, uh, their own ecosystem, which other people like, you know, Skyverge and, and many other, um, you know, plugin shops like uh, are a part of. So, so I guess in a way they do have like their own marketplace uh, for their specific ecosystem, but it's not like really open to a bunch of stuff. It's just their stuff. Well, that's kind of happened in general, isn't it? Like, you know, around some of these major plugins that they've right. Owned. EDD does the same thing. They yeah. have a third right. marketplace. They're, yeah. they're, they've driven their own marketplace into you know around the core plugin, haven't they? You've seen that, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I, I, I think with those, it's it's a little bit different than an open marketplace, uh, because they they want to have control about, uh, you know, what third party developers are building on top of their system. Um, our second news story is uh, from the WordPress.org blog, and hot on the heels of Matt Mullenweg announcing at WordCamp US that they're going to be focusing more on improving the UI and the design of WordPress in, in future versions. Uh, there is this post by Joan Asmussen uh, about what makes a great editor. And you know, we've talked extensively on this show about the fact that the WordPress editor, uh, it doesn't really show like what you're going to get on the page. And it, it is kind of like a throwback to the very original 
uh, versions of WordPress. But uh, in this article, they're they're looking at uh, you know improving stuff and and taking a hard look at this. Uh, Robert, you know, when it comes to using the WordPress editor, what what are some things that you think could definitely be improved as far as like the UI and the design? Um, in in terms, of, if you're writing just a normal blog post, it's fine. The problem is um, when you're trying to design something like a landing page or something like that. Um, I, I I tend to like if they I would like it if they take a bit more of approach like um, page builders. Unfortunately, though, many page builders I've seen they're kind of very bulky, but it would be nice to at least have a bit more, as you were saying, uh, control over the page, not just the content. You know, a bit more control, like maybe you can you can place some some paragraph here or content, give you a bit more control on on the structure of the content, not just the content itself, because at the moment it's mostly focused on. Co- I mean, I, I understand that WordPress is for blogging, so the, the main idea behind it is just to write content. But it's good if they give a bit more, um, allow a bit more, de- develop a bit more tools to to allow you to kind of a bit help you structure a bit the page, you know, go a bit into the design, not just the content itself. It's good to have such tools. I agree, Jackie. What are your thoughts on this post? Well, just taking off of what Robert said, I agree. I think having more flexibility in there. But the the one big disconnect that I struggle with, and um, I've done it with one project, is um, making sure that you have you provide the styles for the editor that match the styles for the theme that you've built. So the colors that are available, the underline color, you know, just all the different elements that the fonts that are available to use instead of just having all of the default fonts so that there's a consistency that would match the theme. And it would be great if it was an optional thing. So you could shut it off if you wanted to, you know, but it would be great as a theme developer to have some kind of a style guide that is loaded with the visual editor that matches the theme um, the overall theme, look and feel and layout of how that works. And then, you know, you could switch that on or off. But I think it would make it a lot easier for people who are writing content to get things that actually look good within the theme that they're using instead of uh, just arbitrarily applying different fonts and colors and um, text sizes and, uh, you know, uh, having it configured so that you don't have the heading one in there at all, um, unless you've overridden it somehow. And I think maybe by default, you should have some of those things that would make it much easier for users to use out of the box, but give them the ability to customize it if they wanted to disable that functionality. But I think aligning, like we talked about, I think on the last episode we did together about kind of marrying the style sheet that we're that you're building for your, when you're building the theme or you're writing a custom um, you're building a custom site for somebody to marry the theme that the, the style sheet that you're using there with the style sheet that the editor is going to use when they're using the visual editor. That that to me is where um, there's a lot of opportunity to make that a much smoother, easier, and more um, cohesive experience. No, I agree with you that 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 would if they could find a way to translate uh, that to where the back end like editing experience matched the front end end result well, like i mean they already pulled the style sheet up so 
Yeah. There just needs to be a mechanism that reads, maybe they, maybe you structure your style sheet a little bit differently where you have these core elements that are going to be available for the editor or they're, they're tagged with something in there that makes the editor elements when it goes through and loads up that style sheet anyway. You'd, you'd think it could figure out how to locate like the typography exactly. in your Exactly. In and then just, sheet. or you, or you come up with a new thing that just says, you know, you build a little editor style sheet that goes with your theme and then that loads up and maybe that pulls off of what you're doing. But ideally it would be all better in one place because then you're not having to take your right. existing I mean, style you could, sheet and then go and create another one with, you know, and, and trying to keep those in sync. Yeah. Cause you can build an editor style sheet now, but it's, it's you can, tedious process. but it's not something that everybody does. It's pretty much not done for almost most of the client sites I have seen there. I did it for one client site because they had a very customized branding that was done with the fonts and the colors and everything. So we, I made sure that I wrote a style guide for the editor for them so that it only has those things available in there and it made it easier, but it's not something that I see typically done in the wild at all. I agree. Yeah, so, most themes most themes don't ship with that. Um, with regard to the the editor, um, this morning I saw that they'd also released the the post from the the lead of the uh, the customizer uh, team, and there was some discussion in there about sort of distinguishing between what stuff belongs in the customizer, which would be more sort of creating page layouts, and what belongs in the editor uh, in terms of actually. Uh, writing things and and you know it seems like they're a long way from solving where that distinction would be but a lot of the suggestions for the customizer did have to do with like you know sort of being more like some of the better page builders or or some of the things like you know Weebly and and Squarespace and and Wix where you can sort of arrange blocks in a in a page and you know there is that question of well where do you draw the line because some people really want to be able to do all of it together create a lay out the page and create it and and so on but at the same time you want to kind of be able to you know create a layout and reuse it and and then edit the the content and that you know i mean it seems like it's a, a comparatively complex problem to solve starting from where we are um because you know these other things didn't necessarily have to start from from where the wordpress editor was they could just you know, you know just maybe just that. more templates for to choose for a page layout, um, you know, so that you instead of just having like a standard template, you could you could in the customizer build templates or something that you could then use on different pages, depending on what kind of a layout you wanted for that page, you could choose one. And that might because it seems to me that writing content is in the editor. Right. So the things that are going to be for that, but layout and design stuff shouldn't really be in the editor unless you're going to just completely abandon it all. And you're just going to design every page as you write it. And if you're going to do that, right. Then, and, and, and in that case, that's a whole different thing. Right. No, we I, get back I, to GeoCities really quickly. <laughs> yeah. And I agree with Jackie. I think it's nice to make the distinction. Like you can use the customizer to build the templates and things just, just purely for that. And then of course, leave the editor purely for content and just to um, enter the text in the, blocks such as exactly and then choose yeah. the templates you want to use for this exactly. page yes. content yes and you can mm -hmm. and then Correct. it would change the layout on the fly for you it's mm -hmm. a good idea yeah hmm. one thing that i noticed in uh the what they're saying here there is one line that i want to focus on and i want to ask jonathan about this that that what everybody is has been saying here 
And it says, and so when looking at how to improve the editor to both improve, but also surface the wealth of features already there, we need to add new UI. To balance that out in an already busy configuration, we need to find a way to also reduce and revisit existing UI so we don't end up with something overwhelmingly complex. Um, you know, we, Jackie and, and Sally and Robert have just shared like a lot of ideas and what a lot of people have been thinking, you know, for a long time. Obviously, WordPress is coming around to this now, now that they got the REST API integrated, that, you know, that, whew, that big project done. Now we need to like look at like how to make this actually user friendly. What, what you know sorts of things do you think that they will like reduce, and what th- sorts of things do you think that they might add, Jonathan? Well, well, first of all, you said the API, the restless, it's, it isn't really finished, is it? They just did the the mm-hmm. basics, didn't they? In some ways, and it's ongoing process, isn't it? John? It is not. The foundations so far. Yeah, the, fan, the foundations. They got the end. Well, yeah, let me be clear. Yeah, they got the endpoints in. They got the endpoints. We must be correct so. here, Joe, wasn't we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, one of the one of the thing. Um, I've got some great news. Joanne is going to be joining us in February to disc on the, the Saturday on one of the Saturday shows. Oh, excellent! To discuss all this, John. So. Great. So I look forward to that discussion. Um, another great thing is that they are having this discussion and it looks like there is um, quite a bit of momentum to actually get something sorted. And I've heard through the grapevine, it's going to, um, a lot of resources are going to be put into this. That's what I've heard. Uh, um, so that's good news. They do also have a Slack channel and seemingly they meet, not, I don't think they meet every Wednesday, but they on this page. We missed the last one. But you can join the, a Slack channel on Wednesdays when they announce it, and you can contribute to the discussion, which is pretty yep. cool, isn't it? Um, yep. I, I think the things Jackie and Sally have remarked and Robert are fantastic. Um but when when you link it to what you read out, which is on the post, you know, there's a lot of fact. It's, it's easy. It's easy for me to keep saying, "Oh, they should change it and change it." But I think what you know, I think I also kind of zeroed in on. It's funny how how our minds work the same, John, because I I actually zeroed in that sentence myself, and that you read out, and it kind of yeah, they're right. They're, there's a lot more to this. It's pretty complicated as it is, but then when yes. you when you introduce those parameters as well, you really you really get indication what they're dealing with, and um, good luck to. Them. <laughs> yeah, and and it's tough because any de- any decisions that they make are going to affect twenty seven percent of the web. So you know, it's one of those things. When it gets that big, it's it's you got to move slowly. And also to really consider how people are using the visual editor now. You know, who who's using it primarily, and how are they using it? And then how can you improve on that? I don't use the visual editor, so I'm like not a candidate for um, uh, to ask about how it should be done because I'm writing my HTML and want to add classes and do things in a different way, but. 
I'm would be the minority in that. There are a lot of people that uh, the visual editor is probably their only way that they're going to write some content. But once you start getting to any kind of complicated layouts, everything starts to fall apart when you're doing that. It's, you know, yeah, you can put an image and shift it to the left or the right. Or, you, you know, mean, but think... if you want to create a grid in there and do some things with a layout, you can't do that in the visual editor. With, without making a huge HTML mess. Right. I think you've been charitable there. I would, I would right. okay. any, almost any ch- Yeah. So I'd say, I think ahead. to ask them, you know, the first thing is to really find out who's using the visual editor and why. And then what are their, what are their problems? You know, what aren't they able to do? Uh, why are they maybe going to, you know, like a Beaver Builder uh, plugin to uh, lay out their page content? And I think that those kind of questions really need to be asked to find out. Because if they're going to redesign the visual editor for me, I'm not going to use it anyway. So I, more than likely, I'm not going to. I'm not saying I, forever I wouldn't. But I would say that we're in the minority. I don't use the visual editor either. But even people that I know that work with the web every single day, uh, the vast majority of them use the visual editor. So yes. it's it's really tricky. My challenge with the visual editor, and I've told you this before, is there it leaves random HTML strands of junk all in there. If you switch back and look, and then you delete something, and you go back and you're like, as soon as I saw the HTML mess or the, the abandoned markup that's in there, that was it. I never used it again. Uh, that, that, a little bit better about that, but there are still issues because you know if you're if you've set something up in the text editor, yes. and then uh, you know somebody tries to to edit or change something, well, you can't see where you've got like a div ending or or something like that, and and so it will it, it's very easy to mess things uh, to mess things up. I do sometimes use the visual editor, and and sometimes not. Um, you know, if, if they make it easier to like you know, import your style sheet and, and add your custom classes to it and so on. I think it would, would be, you know, a, a nicer experience all around. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a, a, a challenge for them to build because, you know, essentially what they're trying to find is simplicity on the other side of complexity. Yeah. Uh, picking up we're rejected. Um, it's a problem with all page builders and even the the, the WordPress built-in um, editor. When you're trying to simplify things and making things look easy for the user, you drag and drop things. Um, it, behind, actually, the technology is even much more complex. So, so um, it's a common problem um, handling the code, the, the the code behind the actual nice page. It's it's, it's very it's, it's one of the biggest problems. That's why page builders tend to be very bulky because the code they generate. Um, you can gener- if you had to develop the page yourself, you would take you would need much less lines of code than than when you've built it with a page builder. It, it's it's a common problem because when you're trying to simplify things, unfortunately, at the back end, it would be much more complex. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Robert. I, I was, but I think um, you know I had a bit of a go at, at Composer last week, didn't I? Or was it all merged? Visual, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, the actual Composer in. Oh, well, uh, yeah. But I actually think, I actually think the reason why I had a tack of it, a bit of a go at it, is that I think the wrong, some of the wrong things are dealt in that particular area. But what Jackie point, Jackie's idea, and also Sally, um, having a more layout choice 
but have that in the composer. Uh, customizer. customizer, sorry, the customizer, sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm losing it. The customizer um, is a great idea, and I actually think that's that's one that's where it should be. And then you have a visual editor, um, a better visual. I've, I, I really do think that's that's a really great idea, and, a, and should be looked at really. Okay. Um, we solved that problem. That. Excellent. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> moving on, man. Stop world peace. <laughs> it's, uh, nice, it's nice having brighter people on the panel. You could just agree with them, isn't it? Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, just, we got, I, just, I just agree with Jackie and Sally all the time, don't I, John? <laughs> there you go. Just, just, Good policy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, we got enough time to just kind of like... Um, uh, speed around this last news yeah. story, which is WordPress hosting review 2017. Uh, to d- basically the summary that I got is EIG hosts bad. Um, uh, you know, GoDaddy, so-so. Uh, the 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 normal players like uh, you know Kinsta, Flywheel, WP Engine, SiteGround, they're pretty good. Liquid and then web, some Liquid other- Web. Liquid. Well, hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. And anyway, um, and then uh, some of the other ones that are on this list I haven't even heard of. Rose Hosting, TBC no. Net, WPX. I have, well, uh, WPX I think I've heard of. But uh, was, Robert, what, what were your thoughts on this list? Who do, who do you think is like an awesome host in 2017? Oh, uh, I, I think it depends what you're looking what makes an awesome host? For example, um, m- for many people, if you're a beginner, for example, you would want an ease of use um, WordPress being set up for you automatically, etc. From my end, for example, I like um, I'm a, I have a, I'm a technical person. I like more control. I would I would personally person what I run is my own VPS, it's my own virtual servers, and I set up everything myself. So it from <laughs> from my own point of view, a, a great host is someone that that gives you a server without a lot of software and things just do your own thing and of course but at least they're there when you need them for support having said that i've used some of the um hosting providers mentioning them mostly side ground um yes for for, for a user for a user who's a beginner they're great because you can have your wordpress set up their support is great they're very responsive um i haven't used GoDaddy in quite a while i remember even though I'm a very technical person, unfortunately, some of them, they try to oversimplify things. And even I have, I'm a very technical person. It was very difficult for me to set up a website with GoDaddy, to be honest. I, I, found, the, I found the interface very cryptic, like, from where should I start? So, <laughs> so I, I mean, it, it depends. As I said, for me, at the moment, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, just give me the server, give me the space, and, and leave me alone. But yes, for, for normal, and you, uh, normal, I mean, for people who are not technical, Personally, I think I use SiteGround a couple of times. It, it's very simple. I, I've I've seen some others. Yes, sometimes, unfortunately, they try to simplify things, but they are overly complex. So, I like SiteGround too. I I use them for uh, quite a few projects, and uh, mm-hmm. I I think they're a good choice. And there, there are a bunch. There are a bunch of nice people as well. I mean, I remember the first. Yeah. I think the first or the second WordCamp, Europe WordCamp, they opened their office for everyone. Because um, it was held in, I forgot what was the name of the country. It was held in their in their in their city, and basically they opened the office. And for two or three days before the WordCamp, you could go there, connect to their Wi-Fi, and and just run from there. And um, I really enjoyed their company because um, I, back then I was hosting with them. I mm-hmm. had a problem with my plugin because I, I was testing my plugin on their hosting, 
they had a problem which was not related to their hosting at all. It was actually from my code. But one of their engineers actually sat down with me and we've been we've reviewed the code and done the things and they helped me solve my problem. So from that aspect, yes, I like them because um, I met them most of the people in person. I met even their CEO and they're down to earth people basically, you know, and, and they're they're very friendly and they do provide a good service. Definitely. Jackie, uh, any thoughts on this list? Any surprises? Anybody that you would include or exclude? Uh, just back on Robert's point, I thought that was very uh, well said that what makes a good host really depends on what your needs are. So, yeah. uh, you know, I like SiteGround. I, I use that quite a bit. Um, I really like WP Engine for specific reasons. I like the interface. I like their support. Um, they're very responsive. They're very helpful. Uh, things are clean and easy to use in there. So if I'm doing an e-commerce site, I'm probably going to suggest maybe a WP Engine to use, um, especially for the ease of support with that. So I think that it depends on what the client is and what their needs are that really determines that. But I definitely agree the hosts that they mentioned to avoid, I would avoid those. Um, and I think that they, uh, uh, Flywheel is another great one because it's really helpful for designers. So if you're a designer and you've got clients and you want to be able to pass off the billing easily and transfer things, that's really great. And I think WP Engine also offers something like a transfer install now too. So, it just depends on what your needs are, but I thought the article covered uh, a lot of good points on there, and it's definitely something you should check out if you're looking for a host. No, I, and I agree with most of the choices in here for sure. Sally, anything that stood out, anybody that's good or bad that you want to highlight? Um, you know, I use SiteGround for my own sites. I also like WP Engine. I haven't uh, had a chance to work with Flywheel yet. I mean, I didn't really disagree with how they uh, how they rated anything. Um, you know, I've responded to this survey uh, for the last several years. And the thing that strikes me is, you know, it's which host are you reviewing? Not, you know, are, are you going to, you know, review all of the hosts that you have clients who, uh, who host on? And so you kind of have to restrict what you're talking about unless you really want to go through the whole survey, you know, eight or 10 times. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not motivated to do that usually. Uh, and I think it's part of why they're their sample size is so small, both that, you know, it's a relatively small number of people who respond at all, but also that you're not getting a, a real representation of how many of these sites people have, have tried. And, and my guess is that they're going to uh, pick, you know, either the one they use most, the one they like most, or the one they like least uh, to review. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's a kind of a, a problem with the way that it's the way that it's structured. Um, and although they ask a, you know, they ask kind of a decent range of, of questions, uh, they don't have a like best for what uh, kind of uh, category in it. And, you know, I mean, I think the ones that are bad are really not best for anything, but um, of the, of the ones that are better, you know, there are some of them that are going to be, you know, you know, better for e-commerce or better for, you know, whatever, better for multi-site, better for, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's a great point that you're bringing up that when we're talking about like the best hosting, there's often, you know, qualifiers to that. Um, for example, if you're an enterprise site, you know, something that specializes in enterprise hosting is going to make sense as opposed to like an all purpose, 
hosting company. There's certain companies that like target specifically uh, people who are like agencies or have, you know, tons of, uh, you know, sites that they're trying to host. Some are general purpose hosts and they're, you know, they might have like 50 different solutions, um, but that might not be the best. And then there's hosts that are just good for people who don't want to spend a ton of money. Um, but generally, like, I, I try and avoid, like, all the hosts that are, like, you know, $5 a month or something like that because they don't have the infrastructure or the support to really support, um, you know, serious – any type of serious business site or a- anything that's driving revenue. So anything like, you know, Bluehost, HostGator, um, anything that's, like, 5 bucks or something like that, I just generally avoid. So Yeah, if you're paying 5 bucks, you're not expected to get some, some like – no. Within an hour, support response or something. So. That, that's yeah, well, it's like, amazing how many people do expect it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. It says unlimited. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jonathan, any thoughts on this list? Yeah, quickly, because um, um, I, I really think uh, there isn't one one choice that fits all possibilities, really, isn't it? That's the reality. Um, quickly, if you're looking for a decent host below 20 bucks a month, um, SiteGround is pretty good. Um, I've used them. They they have, you know, um, I think the, um, the remark Robert pointed out, you know, this idea of custom WordPress interfaces doesn't actually lead to ease of use. I'm sorry, I, I really think that's a, a misleading statement and I think Robert made a great point there because the GoDaddy and there's a couple of others that I've come across, these custom interfaces that are supposed to be easier to use than cPanel. No, they're not. And I don't no. think they'd be that easy to use for the average user either. Uh, um, um you know, I still like DigitalOcean. We moved the WP Tonic. Me and John had a discussion. We moved it to WP Engine. We got a fantastic deal, folks, and we took it up. And um, but I'm still a great believer in DigitalOcean. If you've got an e-commerce site or you've got a, um, a call site or you've got something that needs more than what site ground could provide. I think going to the digital ocean and going to our partner WP hosting spot could be really great value for you. But then, um, you know, you could also look at WP engine, but WP engine is a great product. But if you've got a certain plugin set up or a certain setup, you might not be able to use it where on digital ocean, you would be able to use it. Um, um, so what I'm trying to draw out, John, is it, it, it's more complicated, isn't it, than this myth of call um, fantastic host provider that can deal with every option that, that you might need. It doesn't exist, does it, John? No, and that's in just to close out, you brought up a great point. Um, every host is different. Every host works a little bit differently. And they have different rules. And for example, like you mentioned, WP Engine and also Media Temple, they have a list of restricted plugins that they don't allow you to run uh, because it will slow down the rest of the, the server. Yeah, um, to, uh, oh, yeah. To mention as well what Jonathan was mentioning, it's true. For example, WP Engine, just because of the 
way their their business is modeled. They have kind of like a master image of WordPress, and they're propagated to others. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it depends what you're looking for because for some people it might be great, but for someone like me who's always who always experimenting with installing some plugin and changing things, WP Engine don't like that. I don't blame them because they, you know. So so it, it depends what you need. You know, it, it really depends on, on. And as you're you're all saying, I agree with all of you. There's no like one perfect hosting provider because. It, Everyone has one host to rule them all. Exactly. There's there's <laughs> specializing specializing for example, many hosting providers, um, they're not good for enterprise hosting, like when you're talking about gigabytes of data every month, you know. So so yeah, it's it's difficult it's it's difficult to just put them under one umbrella, you know. Definitely. Um we're up against our break and when we come back, we're gonna be talking coordinating complex site migrations. See you in just a second. Buying or selling a home in the greater Reno Tahoe area? I know the best CRS real estate broker, and that's Karen Conrad. And you can find her at karenconrad.com or call directly at 775-527-7021. We're coming back from the break. And in episode 157, we're talking coordinating complex site migrations. Uh, I want to go around the room and just ask really quick, you know, what are, Robert, what are some reasons that, that people would want to migrate their site uh, in the first place? And, and what are some of the things that they should be looking out for? I think one of one of the main reasons, at least looking from my experience, is um, usually when they're changing host, um, the, the hosting company, um, changing hosting company, not, not, not just because of a bad experience, it could be um, because they're upgrading, even upgrading their account. Um, so that's, I think that's one of the main reasons I've seen mostly people migrate. Why people migrate? Uh, what to look out for during a migration? Um, I think backups are very important because, uh, as we were saying before the program started, I mean, um, backups and testing are important because you can test as much as you want. Um, unfortunately, sometimes something will always go wrong. Not always, but in most cases, there will always be something that goes wrong, um, especially if you're changing hosts. I've seen it a lot, as we were saying before. Um, some hosts um, support some plugins better than others, etc. So you might migrate and you'll find out that one of your plugins that you're using doesn't work on that host. Or um, or especially if you... I just had a problem myself. Um, once you migrate um, to SSL, for example, um, you'll find out that, for example, I'm, I sell... I sell plugin add-ons. The, the upgrades were not working. You know, so there, are, there. Are, I think one of the very important things is to backup, test, and it's, it's critical to make a list, ideally, of every function that your website does, everything, and do test migration, test properly, and then do the actual migration. Testing and backups are very important. No, I agree. Backups. Uh, you got to have backup um, uh, for sure. Uh, ideally, like you're putting it, you know, on a new host and testing there before you actually point the the domain name toward it and change yes. all your yes. DNS records. Yes. Uh, you know, Jackie, what are some of the things that you would have like on a migration list? And one of the big things is, you know, make sure if you're changing name servers that you have done screenshots of everything the way it is before <laughs> you do it. And uh, have that as a reference if you uh, forgot something, especially with MX records. I know we were chatting before the show about that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because changing name servers can cause havoc for clients' emails, um, for <laughs> whoever, forever the site is hosted for, and making sure that you have done your homework and you know gotten screenshots of everything, the way that the uh, the A records are set up, the way that all of the DNS records are there, and some hosts have the MX records in a separate place. So you need to be aware of that because you may go and you go, okay, yeah, here's all the records, and you take a screenshot of that, but then you find out, and I, I think it's in... Um, maybe it is SiteGround. I'm trying to remember which one it is, but they have a separate place to go for the MX records. It was, it's either that or it was a GoDaddy's one, but but one of them does. And you need to make sure that when you're looking at that, if you don't see MX records, you need to be asking yourself, why don't I and where are they? And then go get a screenshot of that and make sure that you um, set all of that up again as it should be at the new location if you're um, changing your name servers. That would be probably my my most important thing that you would want to check on that. And that, you know, there are some now that make it really easy to do WordPress migrations. Like I just did one recently with WP Engine. It was very simple to move it from one place into WP Engine. They do, they have a plugin that makes that very easy. I mean, if you're bringing a site that isn't in WordPress into WordPress, that's a whole different um Starting. Yeah. That's a whole different starting point. I recently did a very large one, which was a static site that was built in Dreamweaver last year. And we ended up using CMS to CMS um, service to help get everything out of the existing static site and get it into WordPress. There was a lot of cleanup that had to be done manually once it was in WordPress, but at least we got the bulk of everything in there, including the images. So that's another thing to consider is you might need some assistance and getting things from another platform into WordPress. No, excellent. I'm glad that you mentioned CMS to CMS. Now, if if you're migrating from WordPress to another uh, platform like Squarespace or or something like that, it, you know, you can export you know your content as XML files. <laughs> but sometimes moving stuff from yeah. Yeah, sorry. But again, but again, you go. Yeah, totally. But again, like C, uh, CMS to CMS, uh, you know, often uh, it kind of like hooks up uh, different CMSs because one, one tip, folks, never, yeah. never with SiteGround with Wix, never ha- have the domain name, purchase the domain name through them. Never do it. Always have it with a, a third party. Um, uh, I, uh, we recently had to deal with um, oh. <laughs> Squarespace about get the domain transferred for a client. Oh my God, fathers! What a what an experience. <laughs> that is a good point. You need to uh, advise and it's- clients that the domain should have nothing to do with their website. It, just go buy your domain and have total control over that uh, process. Yeah, I, I pretty much any host. It's much harder transferring a domain if, if it's registered through the host than if it's registered somewhere and else. The other, thing, the other thing I would suggest if you are um, a developer consultant dealing with this is that before you is try and persuade the client to ditch having their email with the hosting company. It, 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 you know, actually... Like what the um, the other panel said, the actual moving, if it's from WordPress to WordPress, different hosts, it's a good job it's going to go reasonably smooth. But where, where you have the problem is the freaking email. Um, that's where, and you, you, could, you can get into a really nasty position over this. Um, 
because the expectations are unrealistic. Normally, you can, but if if you can persuade them, you know, to move, um, and there are services, you know, if they're not prepared to go down the Google, uh, the Google Oops. route, you know, you got Zoho. They they offer a free service, and I have got a couple of clients that are using it, and it's been fine, absolutely no problems with it. And there's other ones. I'm sure the panel are going to bring them up. I, no, I think it's a good practice. Sorry, I think it's a good practice to to keep um, uh, we've got um different service providers for different things, like a different provider for just for emails, a different provider just for website. Um, the, the the reason is the reason behind it, not just for practicality, even from security point of view. If something had to go wrong, um, even from uptime point of view, something had to go wrong. At least you still have one other service running or, or, or something. If if you have everything, emails, DNS, website, just with the web hosting provider, if something goes wrong with that account, it's it's all going wrong, you know? At least, I, I think it's, it's very good practice to have different services for different things. It's kind of a separation of roles, basically. Yeah, I'd like to ask the rest of you, uh, how do you feel about when you have a web host having your name servers point to the web host use the web host name servers versus using the domain registrar's name servers and then maybe just pointing an a record to the website or a c name over to the website or something along those lines versus giving the host total control over everything where you would be setting up all your dns records at the host I've so, shifted over time to to basically pointing a records at the uh, you know at <clears throat> at the web host and then you know pointing mx records at wherever they need to be pointed and um, but you know it it does kind of depend on well you know if you are going to run your email through your the web hosting company then you pretty much have to you know switch the the DNS over there um, but if you're not there's there isn't really a need to keep it there. Mm. No, no, I, I agree. Um, I use I use a separate DNS server, for example. I use a, a name a domain registrar service. I use the DNS server, and I use the, the web hosting company. So basically, you just register a domain with someone and set the name servers for the DNS server, and then you configure your own DNS, and you have the web hosting company. Um, unfortunately, problems do happen with different companies, and. Again, if you have a problem with a hosting company, as as John was saying, trying to migrate a domain, it might it might get very complicated. Not not um, technically, even just if you have a problem with the with the, with the hosting company. So the more you separate roles, I think security practicality it, it just makes life a bit easier. Okay, you have different accounts. It might cost you a bit more, to be honest, as well, because you're paying for different services. But um, practicality, even even when you're migrating, at least you have the, you don't have to if you're moving website, as you were saying. I actually didn't think about it. If you have a website and emails, it, it really creates a, a complex task, basically. You know, it it, it, it becomes over complex. You know, so it, it's good, I think, to have separate services. No, I think it, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, the problem that I see, like with a setting up a lot, a lot of migrations, is like we were talking about the email might be with the actual host, and I see this a lot, like with cPanel or Plesk setups. Uh, and let's say, let's say the client's on uh, like their local, uh, their local ISP, uh, you know, old Joe here, he runs his little server and, and he's got like a cPanel thing, but they want to migrate to, to something like, you know, bigger, um, some sort of thing like Flywheel or WP Engine or any other ones out there. But here's the problem. They don't uh, do email. 
So he's going to have to, uh, you know, move all that email from the existing, uh, you know, mail in the in the cPanel to, you know, like a, a new service like Zoho or or GoDaddy email or or you know Google Mail, and uh, doing that. Uh, I know this is something that that me and Sally have talked about, and I think we've both actually done had to do for clients. Uh, you know, t- talk about that. You know, uh, Sally. You know, when you're moving like email from from like uh, a, a cPanel or a Plesk like over to like another uh, third party email. Right. So the way I've ended up <clears throat> doing it, and they actually has, have some instructions on this over at uh, Media Temple, which was was where I figured it out how out yeah. how is you need to have your existing email, you need to basically, you know, open up Outlook or something else that will do this. Uh, and you need to make an IMAP connection with the old email host using the domain and the new email host using the IP address. And then you basically you pull the mail in from from the old server to your Outlook and then you copy it over uh, to the new server. And if they have, you know, uh, two jigs of email on there, uh, that may take a while. Uh, it's not that it's so difficult once you know what you need to do, except, of course, you know, you have to make sure you've got the passwords for all the accounts. So if you've got a lot of accounts, even if they don't each have a lot of email, you know, that's an added layer, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, you have to set things up with a, with a, passwords and then you know once you once you move the uh, you know have their domain name repointed it should be and these are of course you know should and is with computers not always the same uh, it, it should be seamless for the people who are checking their mail depending on what kind of settings they need to to access the account from from their mail client but you know often with with IMAP you just need basically what's your email address and what's your uh, and what's your password and it will will figure it out and set it up but yeah, yeah it, this this is not a task to be underestimated <laughs> no I, I i did this and then the reason why i'm asking you is, is we were talking about this before the show i actually did this last year for for uh, a client with like five gigs of of email that could not be like had to come over and uh there's different like email accounts as well and it's not always like the size of it is sometimes it's just, you know, getting all the different passwords, but that's exactly what I did too, was use IMAP with Outlook to first archive the email and then like import it like into like the new service. And definitely it is something that if you're going to do set aside a couple days to do it. Um, and it's not that, you know, once you know what you're doing and what you're looking for, uh, it's, you know, is still time consuming, but the first time you do it, it it might give you conniptions. So, uh, definitely seems like that's a huge opportunity for somebody to create right. a service that would handle that. That just seamlessly move yeah. your mail from one uh, host to another. Yes, for all I know, someone has, and I just never discovered it. I, I, I haven't <laughs> really done searching for email migration services. Yeah. Uh, but it might be, you know, as with the CMS to CMS, there are going to be times when you know, when you're better off having someone uh, do it for you. I, I thought, you know, we probably ought to uh, take a minute to uh, just get a little clearer about what is it we mean by migration? Because we're, we're clearly using this term to address 
different things. One is basically moving an existing site to another host as it is, you know, whether that's a WordPress site or, or any other kind of site. Um, and, and, you know, there's a checklist of things to, to pay attention to, which we've talked about, about, you know, the email and the, uh, so on. And that really is, is pretty much a standard migration versus a complex one. And then the, you know, if you, if you, you know, complexities come in where you have things that are not going to map very well between one place and, and another, or where you are transitioning from one platform uh, to, to a different platform. And that's when, you know, if, if anybody who thinks, you know, these checklists of, oh, you have to, you know, make sure you have that, you know, the MX records and the A records and the C names and the, you know, database uh, backup and the, you know, and the file backup and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, if, if you think that sounds scary, that actually is, is pretty straightforward uh, compared mm-hmm. to, you know, what you might be doing if you are, say, taking an HTML site and porting it into WordPress or, or sometimes even, you know, you've got maybe a very outdated version of WordPress and, and things need to be, uh, you know, changed and upgraded. Or, you know, somebody was sharing with me an instance of a a case where they they had a, a site worth thousands of blog posts. A bunch of them needed to be different post types uh, instead of blog posts. And... Uh, they also needed to migrate, be able to migrate all the comments. And apparently doing the comments involved like using discuss as kind of an intermediary, getting from one oh, place yeah. to the to the next. Um, <laughs> and, and that I haven't had to deal with. I mean, at least they were already in WordPress. So you can use something like post type switcher and, you know, convert your post types first and then, you know, move it to your, to your new server, uh, you know, export your database, that kind of, of thing. You know, I did a site where it was coming from HTML and, uh, you know, there's this great HTML import uh, plugin by Stephanie Leary that is very helpful for this, but there are certain things that will trip you up because it can, it can import tags and custom taxonomies, but it can't import categories because categories are handled by ID and not name. Oh my. So okay. what I had to do was create a temporary uh, 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 custom taxonomy that I called like fake category or something like that to import the categories into because you could select, you know, anything that's enclosed in a, in a proper HTML tag of some kind um, uh, to import. Imported the categories to this custom taxonomy. Then after they were in WordPress, used the... Um, it's like term management tools, I think it's called, to convert all of those into real categories. Uh, and uh, this was this was such a project because, yeah, I mean, you know, I have to, uh, import everything as posts, and then convert a bunch of those into different custom post types. And then there's the issue of the authors and the way the co-authors plus plugin work. So it's, you know, I mean, this stuff can get to be a really huge production and you shouldn't underestimate it. And you're, and you should make sure your clients don't underestimate what a big deal this is, because it, it is quite different from a situation where you've got anything database based that you can export your database as a CSV file and, you know, adjust the CSV file. So you've got the right kinds of fields in it and use something like WP All Import Pro to then bring that into WordPress. Uh, 
uh, versus something where you aren't starting with a database and you have all these files. Yeah, well, uh, I think I think the thing that's clear here, Sally, is that that's why paid discovery is rather important. Yes, yes just, it is. Just do the couple, of, just do the hour look around, and then do yeah. the guest who will, will lead to a death march. My fellow devout friends, um, that's why you need a bit more time, which has got to be paid for uh, um, around paid discovery, because otherwise you can't give them a, a reason. Yeah. Right, and then either you know, either you are working for two dollars an hour, uh, or you know, you go back to them and uh, you have to go back to them and say, "Wait, this is like way beyond what right. what it was described as." I have to charge you more, and then they're annoyed, and you're annoyed, and you know, it, it's not pretty. One other thing that um, on Sally's point about you know migrating a site like an HTML site um, or a site that just has a different URL structure is you know you need to make sure that you're paying attention to all your redirects if you want to preserve your SEO. So that is something that's often neglected or forgotten about at the end, and people just go, oh well, yeah, okay, and then they realize that they're not coming up in search anymore and their, their, their URLs are, are not um, being forwarded right. to the correct location. And Google is not aware that, Hey, this old URL is now this URL. And, you know, there's not a mapping done and you might need to allow yourself some considerable amount of time to go through all of that and come up with a proper mapping structure and then make sure you figure out a way to implement that when you initially do your change. And you want to do that as quickly as possible when you, after you've completed that site migration, have all of that done. Um, you may be able to use a redirect plugin to do it. It depends on how complicated it is. Right. I mean, you know, if, it, if you know what the previous URL structure was and you want to preserve it, there is probably a way to do that in WordPress. You may have to write a, uh, you know, for instance, in this case, uh, their blog posts had blog in front of it, but you don't want blog to appear in front of like all the custom post types. You know, it's a fairly Right. And you may see function. some sites with URLs that end in .php or .html and, you know, or just strange uh, ways that they, uh, the URLs right. are constructed. So, you know, and you've got to, you have to, you have to map that out now and put that into something that WordPress is going to be able to use. Right. Something, so, I, think, I think you really pointed something really powerful there, Jackie, that, you know, the thing that Sally is bad enough, but um, if it's a non-WordPress, you really got to spend some, and it's a commercial business and, it, and it's an important part, the traffic and sales online or whatever. If you move it and you don't have the, but you don't really work this out, you're going to get you're going to get a really pissed off client, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. A content audit in that case. Yes. And, and yep. if, even if you, <laughs> even if it's a case where you might not need to, to write down every single old URL to map to every single new URL, you need to know what the that's structure right, is. Because then they actually want to get rid of some of them. I mean, you, that's why a content audit is perfect for that occasion is because they may have some things that they don't want to carry over and that they may, they do have a list of things that they absolutely do want to be remapped. So uh, finding that all out ahead of time before you do the migration is going to save yourself a lot of headaches. That's why. That's why business owner. That's why you need to go to somebody like Jackie or somebody that knows that's not going to charge right. you like ten dollars an hour or something in the in some um, place. I was going to mention a particular country, but that would be but, crazy. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Like a content audit is like super important uh, when you're migrating stuff. Uh, case in point, 
Last year, I helped uh, with the migration of a public library site, and their old site was in flat HTML, um, and but they moved it into uh, a WordPress site, but the URL structure is different. So again, you'd have to sit down, no matter how big or small your site is, even if it's like 20 pages, um, you know, or if it's like, you know, 10,000 pages, you're still going to want to sit down and, you know, figure out not only like, what do you want to keep? What do you want to, you know, uh, consolidate? Uh, maybe what do you, you know, want to get rid of and redirect to like another page that's like a better fit. But, you know, once you, you move that, make making sure that you're not losing any of your backlinks by using 301 redirects, which is like a permanent redirect. So if they, if, if those old backlinks will take them to the new page, uh, that's super important. These are all things that take planning. Um, it's not just like, you know, go do this and, and move my site. It's like the, the planning is really what makes all this work. Um, it's like moving to a new house and never filling out a change of address form. Yep. And you never get any more mail. <laughs> yep. That's exactly it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, mentioning the same thing, if you're moving, um, uh, the same domain, not migrating to different domains. If you move in the same domain, one thing that people generally make a mistake with is DNS. Ideally, um, if you go into the advanced settings of DNS, you get like the time to live for forever record, etc. Yeah. So uh, and the cache. So usually, other DNS servers they will cache your 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 IP addresses for for three days, seven days, whatever. For example, usually if you're planning a migration, ideally. From a week before, you should change those caching limits, etc. So at least other DNS servers query your your DNS every hour. So as soon as you change the IP, they immediately start being redirected to the new website. So DNS should also be part of the if you're migrating um, just the host, but not change the domain. DNS should also be well planned um, from advance, uh, from a few days before and plan exactly what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. And then you would want to follow that up by extending that time frame after it's all said and done and putting things back the way that they were, right? The correct, caching correct. time, yes. Exactly, yeah. and then you put them back, back as they are, but it, it's very important. And one thing I found which is very important as well, um, if it's possible, ideally, you should leave um, the two services running at the same time for a few days um, just to make sure you don't lose any visitors, yeah. any emails or whatever. Ideally, you should leave both services, the old and the new one, running for a few days to make sure. Even if you lose, if you use, for example, if you were talking about a website only, Use Google Analytics on both, and you can see the visitors being shifted from one to the other one. No, it, it, that's very important as well, because um, even if you change your DNS cache, if you do all these kind of precautionary things um, before you move, there will still be someone who had cached your DNS or had a misconfiguration, something, and they will still access your old website. So it's yeah. very important to monitor to leave both services running and monitor them for a few days. Uh, and if you're doing I, an exact mm -hmm. copy, um, I have found put a little something on the new site. I don't, you know, even if it's a plus sign at the bottom left-hand corner yes. of the website, <laughs> so, so you know which one yes. you're looking at. <laughs> you know, I am looking at the new server right now. It's just an easy way. And then of course, you know, once you've got your migration done and successful, you can go back and remove that. But anything, you could even just put an extra sentence somewhere or it doesn't really matter, but maybe so, and ideally in the footer, cause that's gonna be on every page of the site. So you'll, no matter where you go, you'll kind of know. But it, that's a good way to know that your migration is done and you've made it. 
Yes, yes, I, I agree with you. I've, I've used that method before. Just a simple, just a small symbol somewhere left, yeah. uh, left smiley, bottom corner. You can put a smiley at the bottom of the photo, can't you? <laughs> I, I do the same thing, you know, but I do, I put a comment in, in the head. I'll, I'll put like an HTML comment where it says this. Good idea. Mm-hmm. That's very good. It's not even mm-hmm. visible then. That's yeah, smart. Very good idea. Yeah, very good idea. I'm glad that you mentioned, Robert, when you were talking about time to live. Um, for, for those who don't know, like your DNS records, that's all the domain records that are associated with your site, uh, where your domain name points, your MX records, which control your mail, all those things. Um, they have what's called a time to live. And that is like how long um, the internet service providers like keep those records. Now, what people don't under- may not understand about the internet is uh, it, DNS records are handled differently by each internet service provider. So Comcast, uh, Time Warner Cable, <laughs> AT&T, Verizon, uh, you know, uh, Frontier, anybody that handles uh, internet connections, they each propagate DNS at a different rate. So you could have, you could be at like one place in the country and see like the changes. And then somebody else might see them like a day later or a couple hours later, depending on what ISP they have. So yeah, that's, that's why it's very important to leave both services running. It it is very important because if if your DNS doesn't propagate on time and usually um, as a rule of thumb, uh, people say it takes around 48 hours to propagate. Mm-hmm. But we've seen cases from my previous experience when I was a systems administrator. We've seen cases that sometimes it takes even up to three or four days to to properly for a DNS record to properly propagate all over the world. Yep, I want to go around the room and a- ask uh, everybody. Um, you know, uh, why should you never uh, do a site migration on a Friday? A lot of clients will ask you to do it on a Friday so that, like, by Monday, everything is like. Uh, you know, up and running with the new site. But why is migrating on Friday a bad idea, Robert? Um, I, I usually, um, if it's site migration, product release, and I, I don't like doing um, these type of changes during the weekend um, on a Friday evening. Why? Because as I said, if something goes wrong, at least um, if, you do, if you've done the migration during the week, you, you're, you're going to be a at least during the business day, you're going to be available. You're going to be there. You can. You're doing your own work. You can notice something yourself before your customers notice it. So, so you're there. You're kind of overlooking, supervising the, the migration or, or whatever the process is. If you do it on a Friday, typically um, on a weekend, it, if you're out, it's going to ruin your weekend most probably. <laughs> so, so, so let's put it this way. Um, so yes, because um, even as a, even if you're talking about the product release, for example, if if if, if there's a showstopper bug or something, um, at least you're there to see the emails and to start responding as soon as possible. The same with migration. If 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 something goes wrong and if you you have both services running, you can easily go back to the DNS and change back the IP temporary at least. But if it's the weekend, you're most probably a bit more distracted. Maybe. At least I, I I I speak about I speak for myself during the weekend I still work but you you're not at the desk all the time you know you're a bit more distracted just doing a bit of taking it easy so so basically yes if you're going to do something on Friday and it goes wrong um, the damage if something goes wrong the damage will be the impact will be much bigger than if you're there during the week and and overseeing everything you know definitely uh, you know Jackie any have you ever done a migration where it's uh, you've maybe done something and you've like learned uh, like um, here's something that I don't want to do again here's something I can improve 
Well, definitely not doing it on a Friday is good. And my reason for that is I want the A team, right? So I, if I, I would prefer to do my migration early on a work day, right? So that number one, if something's wrong, I'm going to get the A team at my host or good. at my email provider or whatever. And I'm going to probably be one of the first tickets that they're going to get because I've already <laughs> encountered and reported my problem early in the morning. So if it's 5 or 6 a.m., that's my time I get up and get that thing started so that if something's wrong by 8, we figured it out. I'm going to be like one of the first people these 18 people are going to be talking to. So I like that. You certainly don't want to be at the end of the day on a Friday when everybody is exhausted, tired, not uh really on their game and then expect them to jump in and solve a big problem. Also, I totally agree that you're going to be able to discover problems a lot quicker, especially when others are using it as well. If it is, you know, early in that workday, and then you have a whole rest of that workday to get these things resolved. So the earlier you can do it in the day, I think is better. Um, if you're going to do some email migrations and things, well, you do need to take into consideration you know, how active your clients are needing the email service. So maybe it isn't uh, something that you want to do during a busy, hectic workday is to do an email migration at that time. That might be something you want to reserve for really early in the morning or late evening in the middle of the week doing a, on a workday when you can get access for support. But um, that would be my suggestion. No, I, and I like why that. I'm, why I'm thinking that way. Yeah. Uh, Sally, any, any things that you've ever encountered with a migration where, uh, you're like, I'm going to make a note of that and, uh, make sure that, that I plan for that next time. Um, probably a lot, but what I wanted to say is I actually kind of like migrating stuff on the weekend because the, the site is going to have a lot less traffic there on the whole, depending on the, on the type of site. And I am usually working the weekend anyway. Uh, so it's, yeah, I wouldn't want to do it at any time when I was expecting not to be available for a day or two, whether that was a weekend or, or a trip or, or anything like that. Um, and, you know, frankly, I'm in California. I cannot possibly get up early enough in the morning for it to be early, you know, wherever the the, the uh, support team is uh, or in many cases where the client is. It, it's just not going to happen. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think that, you know, if you're in a situation where you can keep both the old and the new site running, it, it probably matters a bit less whether it's a, a busy time or a not busy time uh, and your, you know, desire to not work on a weekend or to uh, to have, you know, the, the, the best support team of, available might be um, more important. But, uh, you know, that's not always the case, depending on how things are, are set up for your client. Uh, so, uh, you know, and, and in a lot of cases, they, you know, they, they want to avoid the downtime um, or, you know, or having people notice the downtime. Jonathan, any any tricky migration stories you want to relate I think I think it's just the email. It's still coming back, you know. It's, it's dealing with the email, the insane email, especially especially Mailchimp, Mailchimp. Dealing with, I tell you one thing that never when when you moved it and they got capture forms and they got pop ups and and some it just doesn't work sometimes. And you've changed the email system. It's. Uh, 
God. Yeah. Uh, oh, that reminds me of something. Me Turn too. off your freaking caching before you migrate anything. Yes. 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 And yes. also, if your clients are using two-factor authentication, make sure you're aware that before you're in the after hours and you can't reach them, and then you go to log into their host or their domain, and you can't get in because they're being texted a, you know, a number at 10 o'clock at night, and you didn't realize that um, they have two-factor authentication on. So those are things like do a little dry run test during the day when you have access to people and say, okay, can I log in here? Can I log in there? Can I log in here? Have your little checklist of every oh, place. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. That it's always, when you're doing this, um, it's always best to set up a Gmail account, a throwaway Gmail account, and have everything forward to them and you. So you, you don't have to ask them for their personal login details to their account which might have confidential they still they still get it forward to, to them and you get it forward to you so everybody's freaking happy so and then, yeah, I, I that's what i like about wp engine webmaster account wp yeah. engine has it nice because they set up you can be set up as a technical contact and you don't have the access to billing and it, but i get all the emails for anything that's regarding the website which i really like that Media yeah. Temple, very similar. Same thing. You can be a technical contact, but you can't touch the billing. So, Yeah, but it's the email, and um, yeah, it's the email. That's the thing you got. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do, I, I do want to say, and like last question, and, and um, you know, um, I, I want to say this. There are like places wh- that will handle the migration for you. Um, you know, if it's WordPress to WordPress, not if it's like another, well, we you do. know, plat- well, plat- we oh yeah, you, yeah, WP Tonic will do that for you. It's, not, but, uh, it's just, you just got to know certain things and you, you know, if it's a complicated site, you got to do some paid discovery or you got to come, you know, there, there's migration and there's migration, isn't it, John? Yeah, it's true. Like, uh, you know, your three page cat blog versus, you know, like a 10,000 page site. It's, it's vastly different. Um, but, but yeah, there are, you know, some places will, will do like a migration for you, like WP engine, like we mentioned earlier, flywheel will also do the same thing. Yeah. Um, media temple will do it, but for $150 per domain or a hundred dollars like per domain, if it's like one, um, media temple, you know, account to another, which, okay. Uh, but th- outside of that, you know, you're on your own. So um, th- when it comes to that, you know, what are some tools that you have found invaluable, uh, Robert, like any any tools you would suggest? Um, I use, I, th- I forgot, it was, uh, it's, there's this tool, um, I think, if you give me a sec, um, which is um, so basically, if you try to restore a backup, um, an SQL dump um, backup, and try to restore it to a database, if you're going to PHP my admin, even to command line, the server um, usually times out. If it's a big database and you're restoring it, it right. usually times out. And there's this tool I forgot was I think it's SQL, I'm not sure what's the name. Big dump data, I think. Big dump data, and it's it's just a, a simple PHP file. You upload it. Um, it connects to the local um, my SQL server. And you can up, you can restore any size of database because basically it has some sort of um, uh, keep alive connection, keeping the connection alive. So um, in fact, it, it uploads the backups. Uh, it starts restoring in chunks of data, so it keeps the connection alive. And it's it, it's one valuable tool, especially when you're migrating or restoring, because it it makes um, 
restoring of data if you're if you're doing it manually it makes it very very easy i mean you can still you can do it manually and you can go um for example you can configure the timeout of the server but you're going to complicate your life basically so if you use a tool like that it makes life very very easy oh no i i I, and i'm glad you mentioned that too you're right when you're trying to do like a a dump of the database it often will time out uh, and a lot of hosts like won't allow that. But uh, is this your? Let me know like later if that URL in the chat. Yes, yes that's that's it. Yes, that's perfect. It. That's perfect. The, yes. Jackie, uh, any tools that you recommend for you know hand, helping with migrations? Migrate DB Pro is great to help. They have the media file add-on too that does make things easy as far as getting from one WordPress to another to migrating all of that. And they do. Delicious Brains also has a great plugin, the free plugin in the repo, Better Search Replace which does a dry run for you. So I love the fact that um, they're behind it now so that they, I think they took over that plugin, but it's been a while, but I trust them. So if it's anything with the database, I'm like really comfortable with using um, something that they've done. And that um, replaced the other search and replace tool that I was using before, but this one actually has a dry run, a little checkbox, and it defaults to that. So you have to uncheck it to actually go and make the changes to the database, but it's got a nice little simple UI. It's easy to easy to use. So that is great if you need to do um, some search and replaces in the database. If, if you've made a boo-boo on maybe the Migrate DB Pro, which I've done, you know, where the order that it goes through and does its search and replaces when it does the migration, you might miss something and then, or have some hard coded thing that it didn't catch. And then you can go in with a search and replace and you can pick all the tables. So it can go through everything, or you can just pick one if you just wanted to go through one and just check them off. So that's a handy um, utility to keep in your toolbox. Now that's an excellent suggestion. Uh, Sally, any tools, services, or anything like that that, that you would suggest? Uh, I've definitely used both the Migrate DB Pro and and Better Search and Replace. Um, I do a lot of my WordPress site migrations with Backup Buddy. Uh, It's not always possible, depending on whether the host permits you to use it or, or, you know, whether it would just time out because it's crappy hosting. Uh, But... uh, uh, it is, you know, it does make it very easy to uh, to move a site from one place to another and to change your, you know, your URLs and your all those uh, other things when you when you do it and you can, you know, do it into a basically an, an empty folder that you put your backup file and your and your import script into rather than something like you know with with Migrate DB Pro you do have to have WordPress actually installed and and Migrate DB to to move that. So, yep. you know, what you use kind of depends on your circumstances. I'm glad you mentioned that. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you are right. Like the backup buddy, it won't work um, on some hosts because it'll time out. Uh, same thing with the tools like duplicator, Jackie. Updraft plus the premium mm. plugin, the backup plugin does a really nice job of handling, uh, backing up large sites. It chunks everything um, so that it doesn't time out. I've had, um, a couple of big sites that I did uh, migrations with where Backup Buddy did not work and some of the others I tried didn't, but Updraft Plus always worked. It um, just does things. It will uh, just do the database or it'll do all of the files that are with the install. And if it does all the files, it might break your uploads directory into eight different zip files and it'll just keep 
chunking and chunking and doing it. So I think they've figured out a way to avoid uh, it crashing uh, in the middle it, of it. It's so. much more efficient. And I've installed it in a lot of places where, where Backup Buddy would tend to get uh, tend to get hung up. I like it. I, I paid for the premium uh, mm-hmm. version of that one. And I keep that. It also has in there, too, the ability to offload your backup to Google Drive, uh, Dropbox. You can set it up to go to a lot of places and it can be automatic. So when it does its backup during the night, you can schedule it and then you can have it offload the backup and get it off of that server and delete the one that's on the server, too, if you want. Excellent. I'm glad you said that. Um, that because I use this a lot for just doing backups, but um, you know, I'm glad you said you know a lot of uh, that is something that I've for, kind of forgotten about is a lot of hosts do timeout, but that is that's like a big problem, and and Updraft is really good at chunking things in in pieces. Uh, Jonathan, any tools? Well, kind of um, Jackie took my words from me, but uh, <laughs> but I think I think I think. Um, I think having a number of different tools in your arsenal, you know, backup buddy is great, but sometimes it doesn't work. So you, I, I've got that, I've got Updraft Plus Pro that I've used, and uh, I use both because sometimes the Updraft Plus doesn't work as well as the backup buddy. And then the, the Delicious Brain tools, I've got those as well. They're great. But another one that we use as backup, but it has a very good um, migration system, is BlogVault. That uh, I've, I've used it before. Yeah, it's very good. It's very good as well. Um, so we got a number because I found some, sometimes it doesn't work, so you've got to try something else. Excellent. Uh, like I said, I, I will vouch for my great uh, DB Pro. That's something I use a lot. Um, you know, I've done like a ton of migrations, like dozens of migrations this last year. Uh, using WP Engine's uh, plugin, uh, all you need is you, you know you get your client to sign up for for uh, their own account, and you do you, know, you just, do realize they're using Black Blog Vault's technology on they they are using yes, they have a yep mm-hmm. yeah. so but but it makes it pretty seamless yeah. um, if you're doing a straight WordPress to WordPress uh, if you're doing you know. Uh, you know, another CMS to, to WordPress or then, then it's a little bit different. You might want to use something like CMS to CMS. Uh, so I think we're up against uh, our time. Yeah. Well, this has been a long one, but we covered a lot of good stuff, haven't we, John? And the panel. We did. Did. I want to remind everybody um, next episode, we're going to be having Rachel Andrew of Perch and uh, she's also teaching a lot on CSS grid. So be sure to, to check that one out. Uh, if you're getting value from this podcast, be sure to go to iTunes, leave a detailed review. We're trying to get to triple digits. We'd love to, you know, uh, read your comments. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, you can catch us here every Saturday at wp-tonic.com blab. We have the Saturday hangout uh, live up here. Oh, James Tyron said, what about t- merging two WordPress sites and 50% of the same users on both sites? Uh, we'll look into that and answer that for sure. Uh, <laughs> merging two WordPress sites and 50%. Yeah, I'll have to think about that. And that sounds complicated. Um, 
He's asking us to think on a Saturday morning, isn't he, John? That's right. a bit cruel, definitely, isn't it? Definitely. <laughs> you cruel but, uh, devil. You cruel devil. You throw yeah, John, but... John a little bit. So I'm going to take over. So like John said, John's yeah. thinking of that question. And uh, um, But if you get value for the podcast, please leave some comments. Like John said, leave us a review on iTunes. We're getting increasing numbers of people, but we want to drive it much higher in 2017 and those reviews really help don't they john yeah they definitely do it helps other people find us in itunes uh you know drives us up our listenership is going up like month over month and we thank you for that we definitely couldn't do it without you uh we do appreciate it um so yeah with that let the panel uh let everybody know uh where they can find them robert how do we find you Hi, um, I'm on Twitter at Robert Abela, A-B-E-L-A is my surname. Um, I also develop the plugin WP Security Audit Log. So if you go to the website, www.wpsecurityauditlog.com, you can use the contact format. Um, I'm, I'm the person who receives those emails directly. So I'm reachable from there as well. And Jackie? You can reach me on Twitter at jdelia and my website, jackiedelia.com. And I'm also the host of the podcast, rethink.fm. Awesome. Uh, and I, we do vouch for that podcast as well. Uh, Sally, how do we find you? Uh, I'm at Sally Getch on Twitter. Uh, and my business is wpfangirl.com. And basically, if you can spell my name, you can find me. I'm unique in Google. <laughs> Excellent. And Jonathan, how do we find you? Oh, quite easy, folks. Get me on the Twitter at Jonathan Denwood. I'm there most days twittering, doing something. Come on, John. And you can email me at Jonathan at wp-tonic.com. I won't reply probably the same day, but you get answer the next business day. Sweet. Excellent. And you can find me at my website, which is lockdowndesign.com, silent E after the lock. You can find me on Twitter, lockdown underscore, or on Facebook, uh, my page, uh, just facebook.com slash lockdowndesign. Uh, with that, the WP Tonic panel is saying adios. Catch us here next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.